Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast. I'm your host, Dave Anderson. With me today, we have our illustrious producer, William Jeffries. It's great to be here. Hey, welcome back, man. Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's good to be back. I I just got back from a a lengthy trip abroad. Nice. Yeah. And we've we've traded because our, our regular host, Michael Nunez, is out abroad, swapped over to Europe. I think he's in Italy right now. This is a baby moon, right? This is like... Oh, it's a baby moon. Yeah, that is a thing that people do now. So once he's back from vacation, he's off on paternity leave, right? No, he'll be <laughs> the baby is not coming immediately, but it's happening eventually. So yeah. watch out, people. Watch we'll out. We'll send you updates. Baby news. Baby news. It's it's imminent. Yeah. So it sounded like you had like a really interesting adventure while you're abroad, like all over the place. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of stuff. It was I was gone for a while. I think probably the most interesting thing was the volunteer work in East Africa. Yeah, something about programming in R and sharks yeah. or something. <laughs> I wasn't so it, it was like a you know a marine conservation volunteer program, and I had actually kind of done it to get away from programming. You can't quit the game, though. I know, right? Pull you back in. Yeah, so we were monitoring <laughs> sharks and whales and giant turtles and manta rays and all kinds of marine life and coral. So it was a lot of scuba diving and then logging what we measured. Like manually logging. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a Google form that fed into a massive spreadsheet. There's always a spreadsheet. Yeah. (laughs) And they've been collecting that data for like three years now. So it's pretty substantial. That is a big spreadsheet. I guess that's why they needed R. Yeah. Well, yeah. So they were trying to do data analysis and trying to draw conclusions. One of the things that they were hoping to do was to start predicting when there were going to be sharks around. Good to know. (laughs) Sharks are pretty freaky. Don't really want to be swimming with them too much. Well, most of them are harmless. There are really only a couple of species that are dangerous. But like bull sharks are a serious issue. And there are in Mozambique where we were, you know, like a dozen deaths every year from shark attacks. Yeah. Um, So. Yeah. I mean, so like hearing that story, like kind of got me thinking about like how uh, software engineers have a very in-demand skill and no matter what area or industry it is, like people need that help. And more than most, you know, there are nonprofits and scientists with spreadsheets that need help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought that I was escaping programming, but it turns out actually the most useful thing that I could do for these scientists was to make models in R. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of things that we talked about in the past, like for volunteering is kind of for the the good of the tech community, like doing open source work. That's a really good example of a volunteering effort that, I mean, it isn't labeled as volunteering, I guess, directly because you're a contributor, you're, you're kind of doing something pro bono. Yeah, but it's definitely volunteering. It's super not paid. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're, uh, you know, raising money, the guy who does API star. Yeah. And I guess some people do get paid to do open source. That's the dream right there. Yeah. But then there's this whole other avenue of like volunteering for social good that is also available to people. Yeah. Yeah. It really does seem like the nonprofit world is tremendously underserviced by technology. 
the private sector is just so much further ahead in terms of the software that's been developed in order to help them and like the amount of proficiency with software. So what, why did you volunteer? Like why, uh, like being a, you know, highly in demand software engineer, like why, why did you decide to spend two weeks counting sharks and well, so Mozambique's a Portuguese speaking country and these sharks are mostly, and the other marine megafauna that we were monitoring are mostly found at depth. And so they were looking for people who had scuba diving and, you know, Portuguese fluency uh, in their background, which mm-hmm. was a, a pretty weird combination and something that I actually had. And I thought, oh, this is like sort of a unique opportunity that I'm well suited to in, in, in a surprising way. And that was what sucked me in. So it's like kind of the experience like of, of being there and contributing to it in that way. Well, I, I wanted to do some volunteer work because, you know, I wanted to go to Africa and I didn't like the idea of going and doing not particularly sustainable tourism. And so volunteering seemed like a good alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about like other times that I've volunteered and I, I think there's, there's almost always like an experiential or like social aspect to it for me at least where I think the people who tend to volunteer are just really interesting people who are pretty driven and very engaged with what they're volunteering in. And so I, I always find it like really satisfying to, to meet those people and, and uh, talk with them. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It does seem to attract a really interesting crowd. I definitely noticed that while I was volunteering on this most recent trip. A lot of high caliber people who, you know, had a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it is also an opportunity to like maybe get some experience in something that you might not normally have the chance to to work on. Like, uh, right, I'm not that good of a scuba diver. Nobody's paying me to do that. Yeah, that's the thing I have to do for free. Also, data models like data science not not got that like master's degree or phd in data science as far as i'm aware definitely not (laughs) this was the first time i had worked with r i had to ramp myself up it's a it's a bit awkward of a language from my understanding yeah well actually it's it feels really natural if you're doing one and only one thing and that's stats (laughs) if you're doing stats with r it's like oh okay yeah actually this makes a lot of sense tdd not today Definitely not. <laughs> not really any testing. <laughs> it's uh, very scripty. That's that's for a future podcast. TDD yeah. and R. OP. <laughs> Doing Sandy Metz proud. Yeah, but they have their own patterns. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting about it was the way that they had structured um, notebooks. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is a thing that no, it would never occur to any app developer to do. The idea of having structuring your code in the form of a notebook. So you write some code to generate something interesting, and then immediately below that you have some kind of explainer of like what it is that you're doing, sort of like comments in code, except mm-hmm. that when it when you run it, it renders into something that looks like, you know, a scientist's journal. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've used Jupyter Notebook with Python before. And that's yeah, yeah, it's just like that. Yeah. Super helpful. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, you definitely wouldn't want that for your web server. <laughs> like, there's no reason. Maybe if you were making a blog about programming. Yeah. they. I think they do have some pretty intense, like, 
uh, static blog generators that could, you can uh, generate from Jupyter Notebooks, but that's only for the hardcore, I think. <laughs> well, and if you look at them, I bet they're probably mostly scientists who are using Python or R to generate data and draw conclusions from it. And for that, it's perfect. I mean, that's a much better way of working than trying to come up with like a, a model to like a like an object, a class to represent. <laughs> Whatever the thing is. Right. Just get it done. Yeah. So it sounds like this was also maybe an experience that one might be able to put on a resume, generate a model to find some sharks. That's a great point, actually. It did not occur to me to put this on my resume. But... William Jeffries, shark finder extraordinaire. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it sound a lot cooler than it was. <laughs> <laughs> but you know i think that's that's totally part mm. of it i mean like different volunteering opportunities i've had like i volunteered with uh data kind a while back and they're like this organization that's like international right now they try to pair people with data analysis and programming skills with organizations that have data that don't know what to do with it so very similar to the thing that you're talking about here with a lot less portuguese and scuba diving involved but through that, I, I went to a data dive, which was kind of a hackathon, and ended up working on a project with the mayor's office of data analytics, which is like, wow, that sounds super. Mm-hmm. The mayor's like, office has a lot of cool stuff in it. Right. It it's just like, wow, these are these are people like helping the city do all this really important data analytics. But it actually was a lot less glamorous than I thought it would be. It's like very scrappy, actually, because they're they're just trying to get things done. Uh, they had like a command line tool that they wanted to like uh, make more approachable to other people in their department who weren't like very tech savvy. So they want to put a GUI on top of it. So just right, like yeah, not standard. a lot of budget for the data analytics department in the mayor's office. Right. I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and everyone's like super engaged and wanting to get things done. Wait, they, you want to make your city better and you're doing it in your spare time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that that really like charged me up and I'm like, I'm going to make the best dang Java swing GUI you can ever make for a <laughs> geocoding utility. And it felt really good. It felt really good. I, I enjoyed working with those people. That's very rewarding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, cities have amazing opportunities for volunteer work. The civic tech movement seems to really attract passionate people who want to do good yeah like especially with like open data i I know you've worked in that space in the past with like uh heat seek yeah that's right i started a nonprofit, i think maybe like five years ago that monitors the temperature in low-income housing and makes sure that people get adequate heat in the winter time and for that project we ended up generating our own data sets and working a lot with the civic tech community here. We were based out of Civic Hall, which is sort of a mecca for civic tech. And uh, we worked a lot with Beta NYC, which is a, you know, a civic tech organization, a civic tech meetup. Yeah, if you're in New York City, I would definitely recommend checking that out. I've, I've been to several other events and they're always really engaging and, and cool things. Like the kinds of data that people work on like is very interesting. Like, counting trees and 311 requests and all kinds of neat things. Yeah, I don't think there's really anywhere better that I've ever heard of for civic tech than than New York City. Like even San Francisco where there is a lot of tech talent doesn't have the kinds of interesting challenges that New York City has that needs solving. 
because they just don't have as big and diverse a population in as old of a city with as many problems. Yeah. And I guess like they also have a lot of like tech tech community, you know, open source kind of opportunities. Yeah. Although I think you could go to pretty much any city and they would gladly take your volunteer time. <laughs> yeah. And there are definitely other cities that have great civic tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was down in Philly, I remember there was the Code for America Brigade there was working on some really interesting stuff. Code for America, another great go-to resource for this. Oh, yeah. So Code for America, I think I've heard of this before. Like basically you sign up. It's kind of like Teach for America in a similar capacity, right? Where you work for a period of time for them. I don't know if they have paid positions the way that Teach for America does or if it's exclusively volunteer driven. It's grown so much and been so successful that I wouldn't be surprised if there are grants available so that you could work on that full time. But they open chapters in cities all around the country and try and get software developers to help build things to make the city better. Yeah, there's also a lot of uh, programs out there for like teaching people who are interested, either young people or people who are looking to do a career change in software engineering. I uh, like Scripted, yeah. Yeah, Scripted Jinx <laughs> or uh, Rails Bridge. We actually even recorded an episode about Rails Bridge, uh, episode 20, Building Bridges. Oh, yeah, with Rachel Ober. I remember that one. Yeah, way back, 60 odd episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. She was the local chapter founder, I think, right? Yeah, she New York City the... founder of uh, Rails Bridge. Or the Rails Bridge chapter, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's so many good opportunities for volunteering and and teaching the next generation of people uh, building up the community. Yeah, it's a really in-demand skill and there is a real shortage of teachers and it does a lot for the community when people know how to do this stuff. Well, there you have it. Plenty of opportunities to volunteer. Great feelings, great community. Great impact. Great impact. You got any teaching learns for us? Go get it done. So recently I've been looking a lot more closely at how to manage like the client side cash with Apollo and GraphQL. I'm preparing to give a second version of my choose your adventure GraphQL talk at uh, PyGotham in a couple weeks. And so I was looking really closely at like caching and how you can better structure your mutation responses to not have to write like unwieldy update functions. So basically like through good API design, you can update local cache pretty seamlessly. That's a good one. Basically the the thing that really helped me out was just thinking about how you need to, if you're adding something to a list, you need to refetch at least the ID of everything in the list. And it's a parent record that contains the list with it, with that ID. And with uh, Apollo, it's like denormalizing the cache putting that all into the local storage and it just kind of works. What about you, William? I'm sure you've learned many things out in the world. Well, when I was messing around with R, I learned there's a technique for dealing with really sparse data called oversampling. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, one of the issues that we found was when we were trying to predict when sharks would be around, we had way more samples where no shark was sighted than samples where sharks were sighted. Sounds about right. Yeah. At first, we were doing doing a terrible job. We had 
uh, we were treating it like a quantitative variable, the number of sharks sighted, which makes the data even more sparse because there's like that one time where you saw seven sharks. And that's like... Because <laughs> they were just like, like... Once. They were just ever. like all hanging out together. Yeah. And then like two times where you saw four and like three times where you saw two. And so instead we switched it to either there were sharks there or there weren't. Okay. Which meant Boolean. there were way more. There were way more samples where a shark was sighted at all, because we got to group all of the items that were all of the numbers that are greater than zero, and then we used oversampling to essentially duplicate the samples where a shark was sighted to get that number higher, so that it would be more balanced with the number of sightings or the number of samples where no shark was sighted. And then we were able to train the model and have it be better in scenarios where sharks are sighted, which is the important part, right? Nobody, nobody wants a, a tool to predict when sharks won't be sighted. I mean, I guess it's, it's kind of like... Almost always. It's kind of like predicting the weather. Like, if there were no sharks yesterday, then there probably be, be no sharks today. Right. Just, yeah. <laughs> so, you can get a... If you do it poorly, you can train a model that is 99% accurate by just, there's not sharks. You just <laughs> right. always guesses no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's like the baseline crappy weatherman model where it's like, <laughs> what will the weather be today? Pretty much what it was yesterday. Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> Still no sharks. <laughs> cool. So, you just double the data. That's yeah, it feels a, like cheating. Yeah. But, I mean, if statisticians are into it, then... It's a valid statistical technique that they teach in schools, apparently. (laughs) Awesome. Oversampling. Cool. We'll look at that. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. I will do that. Thank you, Dave. Much appreciated. <laughs> and thank you for listening to The Rabbit Hole. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into The Rabbit Hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole. The Rabbit Hole.